Okay. Am I interrupting anyone? <laughs> I guess not. I do sincerely beg your pardon. Uh, I really wasn't looking for more attention, Laverne, okay? <laughs> That's what that was about. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for attending evening. this evening's board meeting and to you. CMHA is holding its monthly board meetings virtually via webcam and teleconferencing on Tuesday, April 27, 2021, as approved through Ohio's novel coronavirus response bill, which directly affects how local governments throughout the state operate in conducting public business. These sweeping changes were originally approved Thursday, March 27, 2020, and extended until July 1, 2021, via House Bill 404, approved November 19, 2020. This is the contemporaneous meeting for instrumentalities that do not, that do not have any new business or matters requiring deliberation. The meetings are the following <coughs> instrumentalities, Laurel Homes 1, Lincoln View Incorporated, Reserve on South Martin, Southwest Ohio Housing Development Incorporated, Cary Crossing Development Corporation, West Union Square Development Corporation, Sutterview Development Corporation, Pinecrest Rad Development Corporation, Park Eden Evanston LLC, Park Eden Apartments Development Corporation, Mariana Terrace Development Corporation, and Bennett Point Development Corporation are hereby called to order. May I have a roll call for attendance? Ms. Mitchell. Present. Mr. Harris. Present. Thank you. Mr. O'Donnell. Present. Mr. Moore. Present. And the chair is present. We have a quorum. Commissioners, have you reviewed the March 30, 2021 meetings, I'm sorry, minutes for these instrumentalities? And if so, are there any corrections? Hearing none, is there a motion to approve? Motion to approve. Thank you. A second? second. Thank you. And uh, roll call, Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye, the motion passes. There's no new business for these instrumentalities. Motion to adjourn. Thank you. Second. Thank you very much. Roll call. Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye. The meeting is adjourned. Now, this is the regular meeting of Touchstone Property Services Incorporated for Tuesday, April 27, 2021. The meeting is called to order. Roll call, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Uh, present. Aye, present. Present, excuse me. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I need to say present too, huh? You know what? We're <laughs> translating. Uh, <laughs> You remind me of myself. Mr. Moore. Present. And the chair is present. We have a quorum. 
Item three is approval of the minutes. Is there a motion to approve the minutes from the motion to approve? Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Any corrections to the minutes? Hearing none, roll call. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye. The motion passes. Um, maybe I should uh, pause here. Uh, you're all being so attentive. Um, can we vote to approve? Yes, we can vote. We can vote. Well, no. Um, parliamentary question. If we didn't attend the meeting about whom, about which we're voting to approve the minutes, should we um, refrain from that vote? No. No? Should abstain. Abstain? Okay. So, um, not sure everyone was here who uh, voted uh, to approve the minutes of the last the last two minutes we've uh, voted, voted uh, on. I, I think I missed the last meeting, so I should probably abstain. Okay. Um, the last meeting, the special board meeting? Um, yes, the last meeting was a special board meeting, okay. but at that meeting, we did not go over all of the instrumentalities and touchstones. Okay. So, um, but and I should abstain too. So from the March 30th, not from the April 10th. Correct. Right, March 30th, right. Okay, so should we have those votes again or? Yeah, we should. Should we just note? Um, okay, um, is that okay? Whoever's our parliamentarian tonight? Well, if we do, if you have the votes again, um, you have to uh, resend your original uh, vote. I think um, I if, we can change our votes as opposed to having it. Yes, yes, you can change your vote. That would be easier. So I would like okay. my vote from a, a yes to an abstain. Okay. Mine as well. Mine as well. And do they need to, uh, for both meetings, you're abstaining? Votes Correct. on both meetings. Correct. Okay. Yep. Does that cover it, Greg? Yes. Oh, okay. Actually, and Reggie needs to abstain for the meeting uh, for April 10th. A April that we we're not no, we haven't got we now. haven't gotten we haven't gotten to April 10th yet. We're going to get oh, that okay. in the regular meeting. We <laughs> That's all right. I like your instincts. Like your instincts, Reggie. <laughs> uh okay, so we've uh cleaned up that bit of bookkeeping, record keeping. So, where was I? Um uh, item 4. Item 4, thank you. Discussion recommendations, resolution number 126, approving the financial report for the month of March 20, 2021 with collection losses. Is there a motion to accept? Please. Motion. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Any questions from the board? Yeah. Um, can you just give a sort of a, a brief update of where we are for March and the, and the losses, how we're doing? Okay. So um, in regards to the um, Loss is a bad debt uh, write-off for the month of March. There was only $765 uh, for the write-off uh, year-to-date. We are running about $16,175. Um, that's for the three months ending March. 
Um, uh, um, just a side note, all of Touchstone and its instrumentalities are on a calendar year basis, so therefore it's only been three months. And we're averaging about $5,400 a month uh, so far for 2021. And in comparison for 2020, we were running about 10,600. So that's the bad, uh, bad dead summary. And is that because of all of the, the, the CARES Act funding that's, that's out? Um, just typically, uh, the touchstone instrumentalities tend not to have a lot of bad debt uh, as in comparison with CMHA. The population mix, uh, at least on four or five of these instrumentalities, are senior buildings, and therefore we just don't see, um, you know, bad debt um, that often with the touchstone properties. Now, with conversions and all that in the future, you know, as we go with RAD conversions, we may see a little bit more, but um, from historically, we, ha we haven't. Thank you. Any other questions about touchdowns write-offs? Hearing none, roll call, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Now resolution 127, to approve the monthly financial statement for Hamilton County Affordable Housing, Springdale Senior Limited Partnership, doing business as Baldwin Grove, the Reserve on South Martin, Cary Crossing, West Union Square, Sutter View, Evanston, Pinecrest, Park Eden Apartments, City West Retail, and Touchdown Property Services for the three months ending March 31st, 2021 for calendar year 2021. Motion. Thank you. A second? Second. Thank you. Questions? Uh, Yes, please. Why are all those other properties listed on under this touchstone agenda? I'm just curious, as opposed to under their individual agendas. Because we've converted those. So they're managed and operated by touchstone now. Okay. So eventually we're going to have a 90, it's going to be about 99% touchstone board meeting in the future. Okay. Okay. Good question, Ed. Right. Any other questions? Okay, uh, roll call, Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Resolution 128, authorizing the CEO of Touchdown Property Services to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation TP21-1001. Work order services with Trust Us Transportation, LLC, doing business as Trust Us Maintenance and Janitorial, Colossal Janitorial, LLC, Fancy Structure Construction, LLC, Thomas Rehabbing, LLC, A1 Quality Home Improvement and Roofing, LLC, Bruce Gray, DBA from the Ground Up Renovations, August Cleaning Services, LLC, the Stones Street Group, LLC, Finance Services, LLC, Ultimate Professionals, LLC, GLT Renovations, LLC, Somebody Gotta Do It, That's <laughs> uh, uh, laughing over the creative and cleverness of that. Thompson Renovations and Janitorial, LLC, Crossy Renovation Services, LLC, Touch of Perfection Painting, LLC, 
BCJ Janitorial LLC and KNVY Renovations LLC in a not to exceed amount of $200,000 per contractor per year for a maximum three-year contract or the board approved budget funded by operating funds. Is there a motion to approve? Motion. Thank you. And a, and a second? Second. Thank you. Any questions? Hearing none, roll call, Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? He said aye. Yeah, he said aye. Okay. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Resolution 129, authorizing the CEO of Touchdown Property Services to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation TP21-1004, junk removal services with Trust Us Transportation LLC, DBA Trust Us Maintenance and Janitorial, a FIST of Contractors LLC, Fancy Structure Construction LLC, Somebody Gotta Do It LLC, Rumpke of Ohio Incorporated, Arel Lindsay DBA Kingdom Contracting Services, the Stone Street Group LLC, Thomas Rehabbing LLC, A1 Quality Home Improvement and Roofing LLC, and Diamond Professional Contractors LLC, and a not to exceed amount of $200,000 per contractor per year for a maximum five-year contract or the board approved budget funded by operating funds. Is there a motion to accept? Motion. Thank you, a second? Second. Thank you. Any questions? I have one question, and it's sort of a general question. Um, sure. About this, does our vetting process look closely at potential conflicts of interest among these these various um, vendors and suppliers? I mean, in, in other words, um, you know, I personally don't know anything about these these companies, and I'm just curious if we how how deeply we look into the them to know who they're owned by, uh, whether they're whether there are any potential conflicts of interest or political uh, connections that we should be aware of. Part of the disclosures that they submit are to um, this is Janelle. Um, whether they do have conflicts of interest, we have discovered some and have disqualified some companies this year. It's been a new thing that we've discovered. Um, there were a couple companies that um, did have a very apparent conflict of interest that we've disqualified. Okay. So we look at that, but we, do we rely on their disclosures? I mean, I'm just... No, we discovered um, that one was interesting. We, before comes to the board, we double check with the Secretary of State to make sure it's a registered business to get the legal name. When we did that, we discovered one company was registered. The return address was another company's name and address. Um, huh. Then when we looked at the proposals, we found that they were very, very similar. Hmm. Interesting. That's the word I use when I, yeah. Hmm. Okay. So um, I'm a little slow, especially tonight. They were very, very similar because it's possible without referring to any particular bid we've received, it's conceivable that somebody could, under two different names, submit bids. 
correct? That, that the, proposal, the, the fees were identical. The proposals were very, very similar. Yeah. It appeared to, to be a conflict. Yeah, Ed does raise an interesting question. Um, there was a case that was uh, more or less finished recently that involved a contractor to the city of Cincinnati in the state of Ohio who portrayed himself as a minority contractor and the court decided that that wasn't the case. Um, to, to Ed's point, what do we do to look into that question for anyone who's receiving, um, what's the term for preference points perhaps? And yeah, we used to give preference points. We do not do that any longer for minority or women-owned businesses. We certainly encourage them. Um, and we're excited with the numbers that we get, but there was a question of whether giving preference points could be an issue. Um, there is a preference for section three. Okay, well, uh, that's good to know. Uh, I was ignorant uh, of that as part of our process. Uh, I just wanna add to, to what you're saying, Bill, that I mean, as a board member or as board members, we have, responsibility to make sure that that there are no conflicts of interest. I mean, ultimately, we have the responsibility for this. And so I and I think other board members are relying on on the staff to to vet these companies, small and large, to make sure that there are no conflicts of interest or political, you know, dealings or inside inside dealings, favoritism, that kind of stuff going on. So I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that that you that you are taking uh, a look at these closely because i don't know any i don't know any of these companies <laughs> don't know any of the people involved in them and so we're you know we're approving them as uh, approved vendors based on staff's um if it's a company that we're not as familiar with then we check the references okay um so we do that. And also before we award contracts, we have to check that they're not on a federal or state debarred list or suspended list or anything like that. So we check multiple lists before they get their contract. Mm -hmm. And we've just had one that was suspended for a while and came off a of suspension. So now they can work. And uh, obviously in the RFP process, if there are any bonds required of the responders, um, that, that that's part of the good order of the application uh, vetting that occurs as a matter of fact. Right, both the non-construction and construction side, we have sort of extensive checklists and when we get the proposals or bids in, we go through, did, and part of it is an organizational um, conflict of interest that they said they haven't had. If they've got the, supposed to have the bid, is it the right amount? So we go through a long checklist before we say, okay, they're responsive. Mm -hmm. So that's why sometimes you'll see that we say we received this many, but this many were not responsive. It's mm -hmm. because they didn't give us something they were required to. Mm -hmm. And when I first came on the, but this conversation reminds me of when I first came on the board and uh, we saw a grid of the, um, we're, 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 we're not talking about, um, well, we would see a grid uh, of different categories that the procurement team would rate the, 
the proposals in the course of awarding um, in a case where there would be one award, one winner. And um, um, it went into things like, I might not be perfect in my recollection, but done in Bradstreet ratings and, and things such as that. Um, their, perf their ability to perform uh, essentially is where those things went. So you're continuing to do all those uh, vetting uh, categories, correct, Janelle? Yeah, and they also, we went, during the evaluation, we discussed their past performance and with the value on the non-construction side, with, with three to five evaluators, there's always somebody who's dealt with them if they've worked with us. Mm -hmm. And we're also keeping track of um, ratings so that we can pull those up if somebody's had an issue that's not on the evaluation committee, we can still discuss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, one other quick question is, it, I mean, does conflict of interest cover favoritism or, um, you know, dealing with friends, so to speak? If they have any um, business or personal relationships with anybody on the board or anybody at CMHA, they're supposed to disclose that. Sometimes we find, find out later that they haven't disclosed, in which case they get a notice about that. Okay, any personal relationships with, with people? Well, you know, like if, if my brother was a landscape architect or something, we couldn't hire him. He would have to disclose the that well um, what 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 would happen is if her brother was a landscape then he, she would have to preclude herself from any decisions so it's not the housing authority couldn't hire them it's that janelle would have to say hey i can't score this one or have anything to do with the hiring of this one we still can do business with them and we can still do business with if you have a friend or uh, someone that works in a company or our owner of a company, you just have to disclose and not vote on it that um, you have some type of potential conflict. Um, and that's what we ask the vendors to do as well. Um, sometimes they, they fully do it. Um, sometimes they don't. And as Janelle said, um, sometimes we catch them up front, but sometimes we hire them and then catch them after the fact um, as well. So it's not foolproof, but um, it is sort of the honor system. And then Janelle has the checks that she goes through to say, okay, they checked all the boxes. I don't have any reason not to go forward. Okay. Thank you. Uh, good questions. Uh, you know, in the course of having a discussion like this, we certainly want to encourage um, everyone who's looking to do business with CMHA in, in the proper way to do so. And this conversation uh, is not meant in any way um, to uh, limit the aspirations of anyone who'd like to do business with us. Uh, okay, so roll call. Uh, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Okay, a second. Second. Very good. Any questions? Hearing none, roll call. Ms. Mitchell? 
Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Uh, Touchdown Property Services Incorporated meeting is closed. Now, we move on to the regular board meeting with the Cincinnati Metropolitan Housing Authority for Tuesday, April 27, 2021. The meeting is now called to order. Roll call for attendance. Ms. Mitchell? Present. Mr. Harris? Present. Mr. O'Donnell? Present. Mr. Moore? Present. Thank you. And the chair is present. We have a quorum. Item three is approval of minutes. Is there a motion to approve the minutes from the so annual plan hearing meeting held on March 30th, 2021? I, so I, thank you. And did I hear a second? Second. Thank you. Are there any corrections to these minutes? Hearing none, I ask uh, each commissioner who was present at that meeting to participate uh, in the roll call. Um, Otherwise, an abstain uh, is uh, appropriate. Mr. So, sir, so I'm I'm confused. Does the annual plan hearing meeting was that the was that the meeting for half an hour that took place prior to the regular meeting, or am I thinking of the annual meeting? The and the last annual plan meeting was the date that we uh, got together to approve the plan. Um, that day we did not have a regular uh, board meeting. Oh, okay. Pardon me, pardon me if I may. This this is the meeting before the regular board meeting. The the approval of the annual plan was on April the eighth, I believe, and those minutes were not approving at this meeting. Um, yes. This was um, the regular meeting. This was to open the annual plan hearing. Correct. Uh, we're all in agreement on that and can proceed. So um, any any questions? Okay, uh, roll call for the April 30, 2021 meeting. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Mid-March 30th. March, yeah. I do beg your pardon. March 30th, 2021. Aye. Uh, thank you. Mr. O'Donnell? Abstain. Mr. Moore? Abstain. And the chair votes aye. The motion passes. Now, is there a motion to approve the minutes from the regular board meeting held on March 30th, 2021? So moved. Thank you. Second. Thank you. Any corrections to those minutes? Hearing none, roll call to approve the March 30, 2021 minutes regular meeting. 
Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Abstain. Mr. Moore? Abstain. And the chair votes aye, the motion passes. Item four on our agenda is presentations. We have two presenters this evening. First, we have Ms. Lisa Isham with the Housing Choice Voucher Program update. And upon completion of her presentation, um, we'll ask for any questions from board members. After Lisa, we'll hear from Mark Pfefferman with an update on the Information Technology Department. And again, as he concludes, uh, we'll take, we'll put any questions to Mark. So, Lisa, the floor is yours. The Zoom is yours. Good evening. I'm Rob is pulling up the presentation for you guys to view. Um, I'll give a brief uh, presentation via uh, PowerPoint. After my PowerPoint presentation, I would like to show you a video of one of our inspectors conducting a remote video inspection um, before uh, Mark does completes his uh, presentation. So as it pertains to the Housing Choice Voucher update, our software conversion um, has been completed. We are still ironing out some minor issues, um, such as reporting features that we feel that we are, we're, we need to complete the, uh, the operations of the software. Um, we are in the process of implementing our um, portals. So we have the Rent Cafe, which I'm sure Mark is planning to go into more detail about. The Rent Cafe um, is currently working for our property owners. They're able to pull their inspection results. They're able to um, pull their HAP payment uh, statements. Uh, we are ready to roll it out to um, our participants so that they can conduct recertifications and interim certifications via the portal. So it's an, another way of allowing our clients to interact with the agency. Um, staff is still presently telecommuting. It's going well. Uh, we've added the following resources to make things work out for staff. We have installed drop boxes in the parking lot where clients have 24 hour access to drop off uh, any documentation that they're submitting to the agency. We've uh, brought in contract contractors through uh, with some of the CARES funding to um, scan documents to make sure that our staff that is working um, via telecommute has access to all the paperwork that our clients are submitting. Um, we were conducting our, our briefings via uh, a YouTube video posted on our website. We have now um, started inviting clients back into the office to conduct briefings in person in, in small numbers. So um, our last waitlist pool, we pulled um, 400 clients and we scheduled in-person briefings um, with a max of 50 clients invited for each briefing. 
We are continuing with our remote inspections. Our inspectors are also in the field conducting uh, inspections and units. Our lobby um, during this whole pandemic has remained open for customers um, with limited staff in the office daily. We are continuing to have our staff meetings via Zoom and Skype. So nothing has uh, stopped for us. So our operations are, are ongoing. Our CMAP score, um, last year HUD um, gave all PHAs a waiver to carry over the score from 2019 for fiscal year in uh, 20. So we, for 2020, we remained a high performer. Um, we are preparing currently for our CMAP audit for 2021. Um, I'm sorry if I wasn't listening. Uh, what are virtual briefings? What are the subjects of those? So um, when the pandemic initially hit, we were not, we limited uh, contact with staff in the office. So we posted a YouTube video of a briefing uh, to the, uh, our website and clients were able to view that briefing prior to being issued a voucher at their own leisure just via the website. But we now are back to inviting clients back into the office for their briefings so we can issue the voucher the same day. That, that, that they've had briefings on our policies such as housekeeping or well, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit later. Okay, because that's we fine. We have a new program called our Good uh, Good Neighbor Program. But the what the briefing is, Mr. Miles, the briefing explains the program to them and how it works, and like you said, the policies. Okay. Uh, it doesn't go into the housekeeping, but it's the policies and their rights um, okay. is what the briefing is. Okay, thank you. Their rights and the expectations of them. Got it. So since July um, through March, the Housing Choice Voucher Department has completed over 8,900 recertifications. We've conducted uh, over 16,000 inspections. We've processed uh, 892 unit changes. Um, we've processed uh, 497 new admission files. Um, in addition to processing over 4,200 um, interim certifications. And interims are when clients report changes in either household composition or income. And uh, unit changes is- Or when clients are transferring units, they're moving to another unit. Okay. And new admissions are people new to the program. Correct, they're being pulled off of the wait list. Okay, next slide. So this slide um, shows um, the how CM, uh, the HCB's budget authority has increased over the last uh, six years. Um, during um, the calendar year, HUD has requested CMHA to administer an additional 62 uh, new HUD VASH vouchers. They've also requested that we administer 45 enforcement vouchers, and they awarded us 104 mainstream vouchers. 
Uh, as you can see below, the amounts that we've received and paid out for voucher assistance. Um, our projected budget for 21 is over $87 million. Are those um, 62 new HUD vouchers and, and others, um, are those new to Hamilton County or is HUD asking us to take over vouchers that were managed in other silos, if you will? These are new to Hamilton County. Okay. Now the enforcement uh, vouchers, those that's when um, HUD had a previous multifamily contract with a property owner and they were not able to maintain the property or either they opt out of uh, providing affordable housing. So in order to protect the subsidy of the residents, they would ask CMHA, um, would you administer um, voucher assistance to these families? Um, and so that's why they're called like enforcement vouchers. Okay, so it's not additional 45 Those, vouchers. They're additional vouchers for CMHA, but it's, it's no additional house, affordable housing for Hamilton County. It's just a switch in the program. Next slide. This slide shows our uh, per unit cost. Um, and when I say per unit cost, our av the average amount that we're paying out in housing payment assistance over the years, um, you can see the amount peaked uh, in 2020. We can see that it is, has um, dropped a little for 21 as more businesses reopen and people are going back to work. Next slide. Over the years, CMHA has created several partnerships with agencies to provide affordable housing opportunities to underserved populations. And all partnerships equate to over $17 million annually in housing assistance funding being provided to service these agencies. This allows those agencies to utilize funding to provide meet the additional needs of their consumers. The chart on the next slide lists some of the agencies with the type of assistance provided by the HCV program. In July of 2021, new partnerships will begin with Cincinnati Public Schools and Cincinnati Union Bethel. Also in July uh, 20 of this year, strategies to end homelessness and lighthouse youth services, voucher referral numbers will increase with the implementation of the new HCV administrative plan, thus increasing the dollar amounts dedicated to partnerships to provide affordable housing opportunities in Hamilton County. Next slide. And this may be a little bit hard for you guys to see, uh, but in all you can, uh, the bottom number, 
we're pro providing uh, over $16 million um, in housing assistance uh, through these partner agencies. So you can see some of them, we are providing tenant-based assistance through uh, an actual voucher. Some of the agencies we're providing assistance through project-based contracts that uh, the board has approved. Um, and how I came up with the dollar amount, I took the average half amount um, times the number of referrals or the units that the agency has under contracts with us. So I just wanna make sure I point out to the board that you see what CMHA contributes to the homeless population um, between veterans and regular is over $10 million. If you look at Cincinnati Veterans Hospital, $3.1 million and $7.1 million to strategies in the greater uh, behavior health um, that we contribute. And this is a partnership that we came up with um, to offer to help uh, in the homeless area in our community. So what, what was this total five years ago? It was much, much smaller, yeah. wasn't we it? Didn't, we didn't have we 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 didn't have we didn't have this five years ago. Right. Yeah. So no one can say that we're not um, looking for the need uh, as it goes beyond the traditional CMHA client. Correct. Right. And when and, and when 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 Lisa, you know, goes over this next year with the addition of the Cincinnati Public School, uh, and that partnership is with Cincinnati Public School, um, it's gonna show what our contribution is to helping homeless youth that the school system uh, identifies. That's a huge partnership um, mm -hmm. with, with trying to help uh, end of, uh, you know, homelessness in our community. Now, these aren't kids who are aging out of the foster system. Nope, it's this is totally that. different. These are kids that come to school and tell their teachers, I'm homeless. I, we don't know what to do. Okay. And they get a referral. Um, and um, the other partnership um, they referred to, Lisa, is um, More Wares. Um, United Way. United Way. So it's a three-way partnership with CMHA, CPS, and United Way. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me get that story in the paper. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to the tenant-based vouchers that the Housing Choice Voucher Program administers, we also administer um, assistance through my rehab contracts. And on an annual basis, I do come forth and ask the vote uh, the board to approve the renewal of those contracts. Um, CMHA has um, currently 48 mod units under four contracts. We have, however, been placed on notice by the owners of two of the mod contracts that they will be converting to RAD uh, project-based voucher assistance in 2021, leaving only two contracts with 13 units in the, in the mod program. Our project-based vouchers, um, project-based vouchers are used as a component of public housing agencies 
uh, agency's voucher program, CMHA or PHA can attach up to 20% of his voucher allocation or budget authority to PBV assistance. Under the project-based voucher program, um, CMHA enters into an assistance contract with an owner for specified units and for a specified term. So um, families that are assisted under a project-based voucher, the assistance is tied to those units. It's not tenant-based where they can take it and, and transfer or port out to other um, counties. The assistance is strictly tied to those units. Um, after a year uh, successful um, completion of their uh, first year term, they can request a tenant-based voucher. Uh, CMHA plans to publish a request for proposals within the next few weeks. Um, we're working with the local VA. They would like to uh, project-base some of the uh, vast vouchers that they have allocated. So that'll be coming um, before the board for approval. CMHA uses the conversion of the tenant-based vouchers to further accomplish the following specific goals, to meet the housing needs of special populations, to provide avenues for partnerships with the city of Cincinnati or Hamilton County to support the preservation of vital housing community, to support project projects which further revitalize neighborhoods and promote the deconcentration of uh, poverty. And you see us doing this um, also through our RAD conversions and through some of the development um, proposals that have come before you, um, such as the uh, Scholar House. And I believe de development is working on a senior um, development in over the Rhine, I believe it's Logan Street Apartments. Correct. So the, that'll be coming before you uh, soon to award project-based vouchers. Next slide, please. Also under the umbrella of the Housing Choice Voucher Program, we have what we call our NED2 vouchers, non-elderly disabled vouchers. And these are vouchers to assist non-elderly persons with disability currently residing in nursing homes or other healthcare institutions to transition back into the community. Um, CMHA has a baseline of 100 uh, NED2 vouchers, and we partner with Ohio Job and Family Services uh, on, the, on these vouchers. They refer the clients who are receiving Medicaid and who meet the other criteria uh, for the eligibility criteria for the NEA2 to, to us and we brief them. We determine uh, the additional program eligibility and then we issue the vouchers. Um, we have 445 BASH vouchers. And uh, when we say BASH, these are homeless uh, VASH uh, vouchers. So they support um, veterans that are homeless. And it doesn't have to be the veteran. It can be veteran families with a veteran that's in that family as well. Mm -hmm. um, we work with the local VA in the administration of these vouchers. 
They provide case management services and other resources that the veteran family will need to be successful in residing in housing. And of course, we provide the uh, housing assistant payment. What's the definition of a veteran's family? Of the of the VASH? Yes. Veterans Affairs Supportive Housing Program. I, I'm sorry. Um, uh, is the spouse, children eligible? Does it extend to grandchildren? Does it extend to brothers and sisters of the uh, veteran? So it, it not only houses a single veteran, it will house a veteran family that includes one veteran that meets the criteria of a homeless vet. So so that could be, how are we defining family? Are we defining family as spouse? Are we defining family as children or So HUD's definition of a family can be just a single person. It can be uh, a husband and spouse with children. Um, it can be a veteran and his grandmother. You know, they're, they're a family unit. Thank you. So the also under the housing choice voucher umbrella or the mainstream vouchers, we have 104 mainstream vouchers that we uh, were awarded by HUD. And these are also vouchers uh, to assist non-elderly persons with disabilities. The eligible member does not have to be the head spouse or co-head but must be at least 18 and no older than 61 and meets the Social Security Department's definition of disabled. So the uh, under the VASH program and the non-elderly program, the vet, the uh, under VASH is a veteran that's the um, head of the household. Under non-elderly for that disability, it, the person with the disability is the head of household and under the mainstream program, it could be a household member that has the disability, but the whole family may be eligible for assistance. Next slide. So over uh, the last few months, we've worked very hard to attract new landlords to the program, especially seeing uh, what was happening um, with the uh, eviction and the moratorium on evictions. We thought that was a great opportunity to try and attract some of the landlords who might not have um, thought about participating with our program but we offered them incentives. And what we told them is, you know, you wouldn't be in this position um, if you were housing households, because if their income decreases, then the amount of housing payment assistance will increase um, because it's an income-based program. So some of the owners found that very attractive. Um, we awarded $5,000 um, for owners that had never leased up with the program that went under contract, we had uh, we offered $600 for anyone that was pulled off of the waiting list that housed up. Um, 
between November and the end of January, we um, provided $700 for leasing to a special population, veterans, elderly, disabled, and then we offered an incentive for $1,200 for any owner that committed to a 12-month lease agreement. And all we paid out over $600,000. Um, you can see below, we've added uh, 104 new units total. Um, we housed 409 families with the incentives. Um, 274 of those families had children, 130 families had a disabled household member, um, 29 of the families had an elderly household member, and 74 were housed uh, as new admissions from the wait list. I'm sorry, did you say how many new first-time uh, program landlords came on board? 104. 104. So, um, um, I'm trying to figure out how we get to 733 plus thousand with 104 new landlords. We had the other incentives going on as well. $600 were offered to those uh, that house someone coming off of the waiting list initially. Okay. Got, got and it. then, uh, yeah. Got it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Next slide, please. What we're also doing in the voucher program is starting a landlord engagement group. Um, CMHA wants to ensure that we're providing the most efficient services to our property owners. So we're creating this landlord engagement group so that we can hear directly from and work together with property owners to bring about changes that will assist us in establishing more efficient processes within the rules and regulations governing the program. We're gonna hold monthly uh, meetings virtually, um, lasting about an hour to discuss specific topics each month. The groups will consist of a small number of property owners ranging from owning one unit to having three, maybe 300 units uh, participating with the program. So, so Lisa, since you've done this before, this is something new or is this just a twist on what you used to do? This is something new. Next slide, please. So this slide is some of the events that uh, we um, have done in the past that we, some are new. The Fireside ch Chat is an yeah. informal conversation with uh, our landlord outreach coordinators and new landlord participants. It's geared towards recruiting new owners. Um, they are, they're available one Saturday each month to ask general questions about the program. Um, the Good Neighbor Program. Um, Mr. Miles, you were talking about um, explaining um, the rules, housekeeping, um, all the things about being a good neighbor. That's what this program is developed for. So it's, it's a voluntary program to educate Housing Choice Voucher participants 
in regards to daily household upkeep and other aspects of um, being a good neighbor. Um, during each session, we cover topics such as organizing the home, um, making sure you don't interfere with the right to peaceful enjoyment of your neighbors, maintaining the house, your unit in a, a clean and safe manner. Um, we're right now we're educating our property owners because it's our hope that since we cannot make this program mandatory, that the property owners will find it um, as a good program and they'll want at least to um, residents that have only been through this program. So we can't make it mandatory, but they can say, hey, I'm not going to lease to you unless you've been through this program. Wow, that's a rather eloquent solution to a lot of communication issues. Yes. I like that. Right. So we figured we reach out to the property owners, get them interested, and have them make it as a requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the other things that we're doing, uh, we've been Lisa, is, will, will this be new as well? Yes. And the, so you don't have any feedback at this point. Uh, how many of our landlords would be willing to participate in this? Well, we started having the landlord meetings this month and um, our um, customer service manager she told me that they were very positive. They were interested in the program. They thought it to be a good program. And they were going to, the ones that attended the first session said that they would have their voucher holders go through the program. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing to incentivize the uh, voucher holders, we have a, a raffle, monthly raffle when they attend of a gift card. It's not a huge amount, yeah. But it is—it's really going to to for it to be a success. We yeah. want the owners to buy into it. Yeah, is this another opportunity for you to connect with the owners, the landlords, to uh, incorporate the goals of this program uh, into the lease? Uh, in terms of yeah this this is this is our effort of um, increasing our relationship with our landlord with the good landlords and then also getting their buy-in to helping with the integrity uh, and the good name of the program overall the housing voucher program mm -hmm. so um, you know it, when I first started, there were people coming to board meetings and meetings talking about CMHA, you need to control this, control that as far as the yeah. clients. Right. Our pushback was always, well, this is a partnership and you're the landlord. And so you have to manage your property. So this is really all of these different approaches are ways to increase um, a better relationship with our landlords um, and then get their buy-in to help with that. Um, I, I'm not going to say without them knowing that they're helping, but really just getting their buy-in and then organically they are helping 
um, with the with the integrity of the program and enforcing lease um, enforcing their lease with the tenants by us providing information for them. And I think Ms. Mitchell, you're speaking of a few meetings that I think maybe you attended or maybe someone you know attended. And those meetings were landlord meetings and landlord education meetings. Okay. With, with, and trainings, yeah. trainings that okay. we still have. But what these, these meetings are, we got together and we wanted to build upon um, our relationship with the landlord. And so we kind of created the, these approaches. And that last approach that Lisa talked about is a huge approach because mm-hmm. a lot of landlords have been asking for that sort of committee. So instead of them getting together and developing something, we thought it'd be better we got together and then put something together to help with their buying it. Okay, yeah, thank you. This is a huge step forward. This could be a solution to um, what has been a very heavy lift in terms of um, the issues that you allude to, Greg, of uh, neighbors coming to CMHA and uh, insisting that something be done uh, where, you know, the, the, the uh, greatness of this approach is the landlord is learning that they have license to include a lot of details in the lease that um, HUD has approved, um, not for the housing authority to enforce, but it's okay for the landlord and, uh, to uh, insist on uh, these things that are being covered in these uh, chats and briefings. So, you know what? I think this could pay dividends like nothing before. Uh, not that everything else isn't worth doing, uh, but I, I'm very excited hearing about this. Lisa, well done. It, yeah, you're, and you're correct because, uh, as Ms. Mitchell, uh, you're aware of our CMHAUs where we educate and yeah. train the property owners on being good property owners and being proactive property owners. And what approach we've been doing is uh, in connecting with the property owners because a lot of times they say, you know, when you tell them to enforce their lease and victim. If you evict them, they're they're off of the program. Um, it's you know letting them know you know we are property owners ourselves. The population that you're dealing with, we're dealing with as well, because we're the largest affordable housing landlord in Hamilton County. So some of the resources and tools that asset management currently uses, such as the maintenance charge schedule, the um, their trash and litter guidelines um, and, you know, some of the other forms that they have. I've been providing um, something similar to our landlords in hopes that they would start incorporating some of those into their lease agreement um, to hold more, to hold their tenants more accountable. And when um, they receive that information, I mean, the response is very positive. They didn't know that they could charge them for damages. They didn't know that they could charge them for maintenance items. They didn't know that they can incorporate trash and litter guidelines. So um, 
as we keep educating them and letting them know that they hold the power, um, I think it will turn yeah. things around. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I like that. Them hold the power. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, it's a win-win for the tenant and the landlord and um, us to the extent that we're involved that uh, everyone understands their role in this and the landlord has a lease that's enforceable as you say collectible because it addresses what might be issues that aren't typically spelled out in a lease um, and you know it's a way of uh, causing the tenant perhaps to begin working with the landlord if they're in a problem spot and um, that's a good thing I, I remember getting a call from a landlord who was relating a lot of um, tenant destructive behaviors of the children in the home and um, this landlord was hmm, too generous, too too well-meaning, and she was being taken advantage of. Uh, but you know, if through these gatherings, the landlord can come up with a a lease that addresses these things and can be put in front of somebody in the first week of its occurrence, rather than six weeks later, uh, you know. To, to work out a repayment plan for damages to what you name it. Um, this is big. This is big. And I, 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 I can't anticipate in how many good ways it could be helpful. Next slide, please. So looking forward, um, the Housing Choice Voucher Program um, we're looking to um, purchase kiosks again to as an additional resource for our clients, both uh, voucher holders and property owners, to interact with the agency. We hope to increase the number of remote video inspections that we're doing. Um, we've also um, Mark, uh, myself, and Marquita. We've um, met with the Hamilton County Public Library because our initial thought was possibly um, installing kiosks in some of their branches um, for our clients' use. But they uh, came up with an even better idea. They're willing to, um, because they have so many computers via grants, they will set aside computers and provide staff to help our um, program participants in both the um, asset management, touchstone, and uh, housing choice voucher program, utilize those uh, their computers to connect with our office. Um, they have scanners. They're willing to assist our clients with scanning documents to the agency. They have um, copiers that they will not charge our clients a fee for making copies of documents. So they're just waiting um, for us. And I'm sure Mark's going to go into 
uh, more about that. Um, and then we're, we'll be rolling that out soon. And they would like to do a really big um, media blitz around that partnership. Um, we're looking forward to being able to conduct our online recertification through the Rank Cafe. Um, looking forward to continued expansion of the project-based voucher program. As I stated before, we plan to publish an RFP within the next couple of months. Um, we're going to be extending the program through continued RAD conversions and CMHA development opportunities. Um, and we look forward to continued improvement and streamlining of our processes. Our goal being is if it comes in today, we process it today. So that's all I have. You guys have any questions? If not, we can very go good. Please. I was saying very good. Um, thank you. Yeah, I agree, Laverne. Pretty impressive progress. Yeah, it was really good. As Greg and I were talking earlier today, uh, I'm reminded of Commissioner Portoon's remark at a property opening. It's not your grandmother's CMHA anymore. Right. As a compliment, as the greatest mm -hmm. compliment. Right. Well, before we get into Mark's presentation, I believe Rob's going to show you the a video of one of our inspectors conducting a remote inspection. Um, and he's, he's in his vehicle. He was actually scheduled across town um, on an inspection. And um, we wanted to... Um, uh, video and inspection, a remote inspection, and this was the time, the time and date that um, the property manager had. So he was able to actually complete his inspection and not leave and shoot across town. He was able to go ahead, sit in his vehicle, utilizing his laptop, and conduct the inspection virtually. All right. Is this a one bedroom or two bedroom? Two bedroom. Okay. We have another outlet there. Yep. That's good. I need to show you the thermostat. Yeah. And what is this? Is always hard to read on. Seventy-two heat on sixty-eight. It's not on. Okay. Yeah. Turn it on so that it kicks on for us. And then while we're there, I think uh, they have their individual furnace units in those, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go yes, over that. Alarm lamp. Let's go over to the furnace so that I can at least hear that kicking on. Oh yeah. It's I go. Yep. You I can, can hear it. I can. Yes. If you could oh. back up for me, though, I need to take a look at it. Is it? Nope. That's electric. Okay. Excellent. Vented. Let me see the vent pipe up where it meets the wall. Goes to the ceiling. Okay, excellent. We're good. Okay. All right. 
right, yet another full. Another outlet. Yep. Excellent. I already have the windows open here. There are two double windows. Yep. yep. Do me a favor, just give them a lift up and a close down. We just need to make sure that they're opening and closing properly. Did that close on its own or you closed it? I closed it. Okay. All right. Good. I'm going to open it back up though. Yeah. Probably a little hot in there. All right. Another plug. Outlet. I meant, yeah. Outlet. There we go. Another outlet. Okay. Okay. Now we're going to the second bedroom. Sure. Let's um, go on in there. Let me do the door. It's closed. It's open. Outlet. Good. And do we have a light in that room as well? Yep. Let's turn that on and just make sure we're all good. Excellent. Okay. We'll move to the other walls. Outline. That's good. Go to the window. Yeah, let's do that window while we're there. Perfect. Outlet. Good. Outlet. Good. Closet door. Closes open. Uh, where's this light switch at? It's probably on the outside wall, I'd imagine. Oh, nope, right here. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. Okay. Thank you, Rob. So now uh, I guess we'll move on to Mark's presentation. All right. Can everyone see uh, the slides on the uh, on screen? Yes. Great. Uh, good evening, commissioners. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to give you a quick update on the information technology department. So last time we chatted, we, um, we haven't really changed staff since then. Uh, there's, there's six of us total uh, in one contract scanner, which uh, at least it's, or it's been mentioned before they digitize the paper that's coming in. I'll talk more about that in a minute. So staff, uh, very little turnover. Uh, I don't think we've had any turnover in the, in the three years I've been here, almost three years I've been here. So pretty stable staff. Who, what do we support? We support the 200 plus employees at CMHA and by extension, the nearly 20,000 families that uh, my business counterparts support. We're business enablers. That's what we that's what we do. We try to make our 
make CMHA as easy to do business with as possible. We do that by providing network infrastructure, backup and recovery, all the devices, things like desktops, laptops, cell phones, et cetera, for the home office complex, as well as the 22 remote sites. We support four major software systems, Yardi Voyager, which I'll talk about uh, in a little more detail. That's our enterprise platform that does pretty much everything for, for us here at CMHA. Um, there's Yardi Portals, which is that internet presence to, to help give access to the Yardi Voyager system. Um, Highland OnBase, talk a little bit more about that in a minute. That's our document imaging and workflow platform. So our enterprise content management platform. And then Office 365, that's how we, we get things like Word, Excel, PowerPoint, that's all served up from the cloud. There's a host of smaller systems and things that we support, things like all the RICO um, multifunction devices, AKA copy machines, the right fax server. There's a lot of smaller systems. And then there's a couple systems in, uh, they're really in sunset mode. Things like Emphasis Elite, which I'm sure you've heard about, RealPage, some of these other systems, which we're still keeping a heartbeat on, but uh, they're not in active use right now. Let's see. <clears throat> how, how long will we have uh, Highland on base? How long will we have it? Yeah, is that something that Yardi will take over at some point? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Yardi is a is a great platform for resource management and managing the various programs. It's not really an enterprise content management platform. So that's really what OnBase is built for. So all those images that are digitized, we really want to pull them into OnBase for, for safekeeping. And I'll talk a little bit more about some of the other things that OnBase is going to hopefully provide for us here in the next year. All right, I want to touch uh, very briefly on three major initiatives that we've been working on. Uh, you've heard a lot about Yardi Voyager. That implementation has been a three-year effort, and it, it's nearing full completion. So what's currently in place? Finance is completely on Yardi. Things like the general ledger, APAR, have, are on Yardi and have been on it for quite some time. The procurement, um, business function, warehouse, purchase orders, vendor management's been on Yardi for quite some time as well. Housing Choice Voucher, Lisa mentioned, their wait lists are currently being managed in Yardi. Resident, landlord, uh, all of that is, and units, et cetera, are all managed in Yardi along with their contracts. The affordable, RAD, and PHA property management, which is things like wait lists, residents, and maintenance activities are also managed on Yardi currently. Uh, work orders, uh, both our work orders that we issue to our internal staff, as well as work orders that are going to vendors are all managed through Yardi. And I'll talk a little bit more about what, uh, how maybe that work order function will change in the future as we start rolling out some of these portals to the residents. I think I keep looking away because I've got um, you guys on my other screen here. So I apologize if it looks like I'm looking off into space. Um, virtual inspections, Lisa did a fantastic job covering that. Uh, I did want to also touch base that the PHA side, Marquita's group is also starting to make a foray into virtual inspections. A little bit different approach, but basically uh, the same kind of thing that Lisa demonstrated uh, PHA is going to kind of leverage as well. What do our what do our what do our folks who are 
um, part of our maintenance team are going into properties used to what device are they using to communicate work orders okay uh, to and from all all of them uh all of them have cell phones uh, smartphones and the work orders are passed to them via the, their smartphone so if you're assigned a work order it goes to your uh, smartphone there is a special yardy application that's on your smartphone shows you your work orders allows you to interact with them, close them, make notes, et cetera, all of that on that smartphone. Similar to what we have with Elite, uh, I think it's a little more stable and it's, it's, uh, it's a little more feature rich than what the Elite platform was. And it, it seems to be much, much more reliable than what uh, Elite was. Uh, and then portals, portals are web presence. So we've got vendor cap cafe for the AP vendors. We've had that up for quite some time. We've got, you know, what is it? 300 plus vendors currently on uh, vendor cafe. Uh, they can receive work orders, purchase orders. They can do their invoicing all through vendor cafe, which is a, a website for the, the AP type vendors. Rate cafe for landlords and uh, which uh, Lisa mentioned a little bit ago. We've got, uh, it's over 2,000 landlords currently on the platform. Um, they can see their inspection results. They can uh, see their half payments. They can see a lot of things on Vendor Cafe. Oh, I'm sorry, Rent Cafe for landlords. And then Rent Cafe for applicants, we've opened one wait list, which is the mainstream um, wait list for HCV, which is still open. Sorry, Rob. Hey, Rob. Mute. Sorry. Um, Rent Cafe for uh, applicants. So HCV is using that now for their mainstream vouchers. So is there some way even at this early point um, to measure the calls that don't have to be taken because the question and answer is happening through these portals? I think it's still a little too early. Um, that is something where we're going to next. Um, we do see though that there may be a couple departments that we won't need when we get fully functional and what, as Mark is explaining, especially in the uh, resident uh, um, portal, um, because the residents are gonna be able to interact with systems where now they make calls. So um we're mark and the group is almost there and i'm going to say uh another 18 months we'll be able to see what you know what that turned out to look like for us as far as uh department staffing uh and additional efficiency for residents do we expect to continue the same tenant work order request protocol dialing a telephone number or is this portal gonna serve as another vessel? Let me touch on that. Um, so for um, affordable, for PHA, uh, when, when Rent Cafe is up and operational and rolled out, uh, we, we have the ability to turn on 
them the, the have them the ability to submit maintenance requests right through the portal. So they have some issue, they can um, you know submit it through the portal. Still, some business processes to work out. This is this is going to be pretty new for us to, to be able to do that. For example, um, do you want the folks to submit a maintenance request in the middle of the night for something that's a, a life safety type thing? Or do we want, so if we do, then someone's going to have to monitor that, that process to make sure that it, those life safeties are addressed immediately. Or is a life safety in the middle of the night something that you probably ought to pick up the phone for? So as we work through those business processes, because again, we, we've never had a platform quite like this before. So this, this is some business processes that we have to work through to make sure that we understand how the best, how best to employ that for the agency. Very good. Um, but once those things are rolled out, we do see some huge uh, efficiencies in things like online applications, on, uh, online recertifications where um, folks can submit their documents right through the website and get them to a knowledge worker here in the in the office that can then you know do the certification recertification and only then reach out to, to the uh, the resident if they need additional information um, and then lastly um, kiosk we um, I believe the, the board approved kiosk last week and or is it this week um, or this month? It's this month, sorry, I don't want to steal Janelle's thunder. In uh, the Cincinnati Public Libraries, I think there's huge benefit to the public libraries. They look at themselves as being um, trainers for folks that need help with uh, computer skills. So for years, they taught folks how to find a book in the library. Now they're trying; they're teaching them how to find information online, and they have they're very willing to help us uh, help our residents and our applicants navigate Yardy, navigate Rent Cafe and get set up. So I think that's gonna be a huge partnership for us and the public libraries and, and by extension, our, our applicants and residents. Hey Mark. We're, we're, we're asking more and more of the, it seems, uh, of the on-site property managers. And uh, do you see applications with this that will allow them to do more during the course of the day without having, in other words, without having to take more phone calls, which they may or may not be able to do. Yeah, I think any time that we can help digitize and workflow some of this stuff, we're, we're going to find efficiencies in those processes. Our, our processes are may be very inefficient now because they're paper driven. Um, you know, they're, they're very face to face type interactions. If we can uh, streamline those processes and then uh, I don't want to speak out of turn, but there may be opportunities for reorganizing. Mr. Johnson mentioned that, you know, maybe some departments change or go away or team, not departments, but teams maybe change their focus where we can centralize some of these functions. It might free up the, the uh, property managers from doing some of the administrative work that is critical, but it's it's another thing that the property manager has to do instead of manage the property. So there may be a lot of opportunities for that as we get the platforms in, get a lot smarter on them and figure out how, what works best for our business processes. Yeah, I, I agree with Mark, uh, Mr. Miles, but the, what, the biggest thing that these 
operations or pieces are going to do for us is it's going to allow the resident to give us information 24 hours a day. And then it'll allow us to access it um, faster. So we'll be getting more information faster. Um, so part of the manager's job or the office's job is going to speed up. And we've experienced some of that through the pandemic, through all of the things that we've been doing so far. So it's going to cause for training, retraining of our uh, managers. Um, I don't know that the phone call volume is going to slow down because, as you and I know, if I submit something to the manager at midnight tonight, I'm going to call them first thing in the morning, ask them, did they get it? And are you done yet? So yeah. um, once people get comfortable with going in and rechecking, um, you know, um, because they'll be able to go in and see yes. what the manager did. Once they get comfortable with that, then I'm going to say yes, because then they'll trust in the system. But until yeah. we get that transition, it's going to it's going to be a bumpy ride, but we'll get there. Yeah, that's OK. Um, I have a question here. Um, Mark, do you know what percentage of our residents have either laptops or cell phones? And do we have second part is and do we have Wi-Fi generally available in our in our uh, in our buildings? Um, we we do not have Wi-Fi generally available in the um, in the buildings. We are uh, through the. Uh, internet infrastructure pr uh, program are going to roll it out to Mariana Terrace, Horizon Hills, uh, Ryan Lane, and Ralph. No, Seti Coon. Seti Coon's in there. Um, that will will be some of the residents, uh, help some of the residents. That's why I think that the um, that relationship with the Cincinnati Public Library is so important. Um, they can go some someplace like the library, use those machines there. Uh, but to answer your question directly, I don't know how many have smartphones. Anything, anything I've observed would be anecdotal. Where um, I, I remember when uh, HTV used to bring a lot of people in for their voucher issue, lots of folks there had cell phones. I don't know, you know that, but that's just anecdotal, that observation. Uh, Lisa or Marquita, do you have any feel for well, that? Well, I think the. The, the big answer is, or the big point, uh, Mr. O'Donnell, is that's why we're making sure that we have access all over the county. And so by using the library system, they have libraries all over uh, and close to all neighborhoods. Uh, our additional, uh, you'll see later in the board meeting, we'll be asking the board to approve some purchase of some kiosks. So the, the beauty of this is that the libraries are going to say, you can use our existing equipment, and then uh, we're going to be looking for additional partnerships with the likes of Kroger's or Walmart to place additional kiosks. So then that way we'll make it accessible because we know not every client has a smartphone, uh, laptop, or even Wi Fi. Um, so this way we'll make it where. Um, it's accessible for everyone to do business with us um, as we move to the digi digital age. So, well, I mean, is the plan to have a kiosk in every building then too? Uh, uh, no, we don't plan to have a kiosk uh, in every building. Um, that's gonna be cost prohibitive for us 
but we do know that um, 90% of our clients frequent a Kroger's or Walmart every uh, month um, to either cash a check, do grocery shopping or general uh, shopping. And then we do know that 90% of our housing is located uh, in close proximity to the library. Actually, there's more libraries closer to our um, uh, our sites than it would be to drive downtown to central office. Um, I, I forget the name of the program, but um, based on economic need, um, everyone is eligible for a cell phone these days. It is, are, are they eligible for a smartphone? No, it's just it's just the regular. That's the seniors that are eligible for just a communication, but it's not a smartphone. So who who is it who are setting up little tents in front of uh, retail places like Kroger and elsewhere? It, it, it that doesn't seem to be seniors who are. Um, doing business there. It, it's, it seems to be some sort of subsidy, Greg. Um, but anyway, I, I think we would be pleasantly surprised how many of our tenants do have smartphones. But uh, to your point, Greg, uh, rather than um, expect that they all do, you're well, well, giving a smartphone app for, um, for, for residents that do have smartphones. I'm sorry, Mr. O'Donnell. I said, are we planning to have a smartphone app to access these rent cafes um, for residents that do have smartphones? So um, Yardi does not have an app per se for their um, for rent cafe. What they do, what they have done, is designed it where it will uh, live and play nice on a on a smart device, whether it be a tablet or a smartphone. It, it does behave properly. I don't know if you've, you've tried to surf the websites before with a smartphone, ones that aren't set up that way, it's really hard to decipher. Yardies does render properly, and so they can uh, interact with it on a smart device. Again, whether it be a smart uh, smartphone or, or tablet, it adjusts and sh uh, its size and things to fit the smaller device. I also think it's important to note that, be, you know, with moving virtual, um, families with children all have devices in the homes, either provided by the schools. Um, and I know that a lot of, I mean, we're just moving to a digital age. So um, I think that it is definitely important for us to consider ways to, um, you know, with residents who may not have, and we can do that through our resident services who may not have access to technology to sort of bridge those gaps, but um, on multiple fronts and, and folks with, who interact with multiple systems, having access to a tablet, a computer is, is necessary. So I feel that this is directly in line with, <clears throat> with other services. Um, so not wanting to gloss over or discount the fact that some people may not have technology, but I believe this is in line and moving towards with lots of other systems that residents will be interacting with. Yes. Okay. Second initiative I'd like to talk to you briefly about is uh, on-base upgrade. 
Um, I believe last year I talked about moving from version 13 to version 18. That's how we were a little bit behind. Well, EP3 is even the newer version past version 18. We successfully upgraded and went live in March of this year. Um, the, the upgrade went extremely smoothly. Um, we did have some folks that didn't get the new uh, icon. We had some folks had some login issues, but generally all the images moved. Everything went very, very smoothly. Now, what that allows us to do is go to the next step in the engagement. And we talked about, um, you know, about the remote worker and the remote worker. And um, Mr. Harris talked about the whole, digi uh, you know, leveraging the new digital world that we're in. And we want to leverage the capabilities of this new platform uh, to create some workflows to support that remote worker initiative, as well as business process improvements. We run on paper, lots and lots and lots of paper. Um, what, I, what I'm proposing, and I've talked to Lisa and I've talked to Marquita both, uh, let's move the scanning to the front part of the process. Right now we scan at the end of the process and that is problematic, which I, I can go into later, but let's move the, the scanning to the front part of the process, digitize those paper documents coming in. That allows a knowledge worker, no matter where they are, as long as they can get connected to Yardi, which is cloud-based, I'm sorry, on-base, um, as long as they get to on-base, they can do their work anywhere without having to have that big pile of paper with them. Improve security, improves their um, their productivity and it will make uh, it also improves quality right now the quality um, of this scan digital image because it's happening after the fact we may miss a page we may have two pages stuck together which we won't find for years later if we uh, mm -hmm. don't look at them right away by digitizing it working that pa packet digitize right up front you know it's good if it's not good, you fix it right away. That then will allow us to not keep paper indefinitely. That's we're keeping paper documents indefinitely right now because we have a fear of throwing them away. Again, back to that quality comment I made. Mm -hmm. um, is, and we're is, legal, is legal keeping up with that goal? Yes. Good. Um, so there, there are some documents that we, we believe we're going to have to keep for a long period of time. Um, and we're, we're closely working with legal on our records retention and, um, you know, this this idea of digitizing the, the paper as it comes in. And because this is directly supporting the remote worker initiative, we're planning to leverage the CARES Act funding to do that part of the project. And our footprint for files could be reduced significantly substantially in, in the future <laughs> i mean it, it's real you know uh if we're paying rent somewhere in the future yeah i had i had an opportunity to tour fidelity investments over in covington their paper moves about 60 feet from the time it comes in till the time it's scanned till the time it's temporarily held and then destroyed and you know that complex over there is huge, and they get um, they get amazing amount of paper in from uh, from folks. So I know it can be done, and I I want us to to start moving in that direction. 
And to your point, uh, I've always heard that wherever you address a piece of mail to fidelity, whatever state, uh, whatever city, it goes through Hebron. I think that's correct, yes. <laughs> you know, wrap your head around that. Talk about managing uh, and accessibility uh, versus let me get that file and I'll call you back or... Um, that's a huge step forward. I have been told they process as much mail as the main post office in Cincinnati at the Covington wow. facility. Yeah. So it's, it's immense. All right. yeah. And then the last initiative I want to talk about uh, quickly is remote worker. Last year in March, you know, uh, the whole world turned upside down. Um, what we did was uh, at CMHAIT, CMHAIT, uh, based on our business, working with our business counterparts, uh, we implemented a comprehensive worker capability, remote worker capability for nearly all employees in the agency. We went from very few people having the ability to work remotely to nearly the entire company, um, minus the maintenance workers, because really they got to work on site, you know, so they, they can't work fully remote. Um, we, we really wanted to address three critical areas, equipment, the access, and then virtual meetings. So equipment, we purchased um, more than 190 laptops, docking stations, monitors, carrying cases, all the stuff you see there. Uh, I think everybody in the company now has a cell phone, uh, even some contractors. Uh, they were all acquired, configured, and issued to CMHA employees. Um, we wanted this to people to understand this is this is our new way of doing business. So we went and retrieved the desktops off the desk and replaced them with docking stations. Your new work platform is your laptop. Take it home with you, bring it back. Um, I see um, some folks smiling there, Mr. Moore. Uh, you're used to the remote worker thing, I'm sure. Um, but in order for that to work, you gotta have remote access. So we significantly beefed up our remote access capabilities. And it's really two platforms. One's called Citrix and the other's VPN. We're pushing most folks towards VPN. They're just slightly different ways of delivering the same capability, which is connect into the home office from, from a remote location. And then UC1 is an app that goes on your phone. And Essentially, what that does is gives you a unified communications platform. Your desk phone and your cell phone ring simultaneously when somebody calls you. Um, virtual meetings. We looked at Teams. We looked at Arcadin. We looked at WebEx, and we looked at Zoom. And really, we've we've tried to push Zoom as the platform, the most cost-effective platform of choice for CMHA. Um, anybody can use Zoom for free. You just log. You just set up an account. If you want a little more sophisticated capabilities, i.e. meetings that go over 45 minutes or um, some other recording features, then we purchased the license for, for folks. And we purchased those licenses and got a discount by purchasing them for three years. <clears throat> Again, using the CARES Act funding for that. And then we also contracted with outside vendors to do the, the support of virtual board of commissioners meeting and other events. Many of you have attended the grand opening, reno days, et cetera. Uh, all these capabilities have, have come out here of late, and we're leveraging them pretty effectively, I think. 
So what's in the, uh, in the near future? Um, we want to improve the call center platform. Um, the call center, they leverage UC1, but they don't really have great reporting. Uh, they don't have things like abandonment rates and uh, how many calls are serviced. So it's, it's really hard to get good statistics from our call centers. And if we're going to this model where call center is a service, IT is a service, you got to have the ability to be able to effectively manage your call center, manage the, the calls, figure out if you need to staff up, staff down, see where there's issues. We can also go into things like skill-based routing. So if you consolidate all your call centers into one place, and as you train your call center associates, to do other functions besides maybe just HCV, maybe they can do some other functions, then you can skill them up to allow them to take calls from other, other types of calls. And you can have a call center that's extremely efficient and very good for the agency because it's centralized and they're highly trained in, in call center operations. And again, the funding source for that, because it's a, a remote type initiative, we want to use the CARES Act funding for that. That's all I have subject to your questions. <laughs> well, these have been two uh, super duper uh, presentations and last month as well. I, I think uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Ed earlier in the meeting speaking to board members fiduciary role. And this goes a long way to helping us understand what you folks are are doing on a daily basis and why and the tools you're creating to do it better i don't want to speak for any other board members if there are other questions beyond that okay no other questions well we thank you uh sincerely for those great presentations and again last month's as well I know a lot of work goes into them. Uh, the play of the remote inspection was interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just incredible what that must do for the capability of getting the work done to the satisfaction and responsiveness that the landlords want. Um, it's terrific stuff. Okay, so um, hearing no other questions, we'll move on to item five on our agenda, public comments, and we don't have any this month. So item six is discussion of secretary recommendations. 6A is the financial report. I'd like to ask that we consider resolutions 5523, 5524, and 5525 together. Are there any objections to that? Okay, hearing none, I'll read each resolution. We'll vote on all three resolutions at the conclusion. Resolution 5523, uh, approving the bad debt write-offs for March 2021. Resolution 5524, to approve fiscal year 2021 March financial statements for the Cincinnati Metropolitan Housing Authority and resolution 5525 approving the fiscal year 2022 budget for the Cincinnati Metropolitan Housing Authority. Is there a motion to accept resolutions 5523, 4, and 5? 
Motion. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Mr. Chairman, I do have a question, uh, I think, for Rima about the uh, write-offs. And it's mm -hmm. basically about the, um, the amount. The, the number I saw was $86,000 roughly for the month. Is that right? That, that is correct. It's $86,764 for the month. So um, that, how does that compare to, say, the average month? So uh, right now, for um, through the nine months ending March 31st, we are running on the average at about 28,500. In comparison to last year, we were running about 29,400. Our year-to-date, the nine-month balance so far is 256,000. And last year's 12-month balance was approximately 353,000. So that's kind of where we stand. So this is a pretty significantly above average uh, debt write-off this month. And what, no. would you, what would you attribute that to? I did see some fairly high numbers on that chart. Is that the, I mean, there was a $10,000 write-off on there and $7,000 one, I think. And what would account for that? 6,000 and... Yeah. So I think that Marquita Flowers is a, a, a better uh, able to answer that question on the specifics. So Marquita, would you like to? Okay, thank you, Rima. Um, good evening. So what we're seeing are uh, the results of uh, COVID-19. Um, we have individuals who during the moratorium um, didn't pay the rent and now they're moving out or um, they're skipping. Um, also, we're um, clearing up some conversion data uh, where we, um, from Yardi, and there were some accounts that we identified that needed to come before the board. So what, what would account for a $10,000 write-off on a, on a unit? Mm -hmm. So this, that particular individual had a higher rent in comparison to some of the other ones that you've seen. Their rent was $875. So for each month that we weren't able to um, move forward because of the moratorium, um, that accumulated. Wow, okay. So what recourse do we have, Marquita, with maybe something that the CARES Act is meant to gap fill or do we just write that off with no expectation of it being reimbursed or? No. So what happens after uh, the board approves the write-off is that these debts are sent to a collection agency to pursue. Also, we put it into the HUD system called EIV, where it alerts any housing authority subsidized landlord that this individual has left CMHA with the debt. Um, so we, so those are our recourses. And what we have found is that when individuals, uh, individuals come back, and so before they can receive housing from us, again, they must pay the debt. Mm -hmm. So if you owe 10000 you can make a repayment plan of $100 a month, or how does that conversation go? Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as uh, the repayment agreement, we do repay, we allow the, uh, the, the individual who owes us the money to can just continue to pay 
as they can. And some are able to pay a steady uh, flat amount and then others uh, a lesser amount. But I, I think the, the key to that is that whatever increment that they are paying, they must pay it off before they, before they get housing for us, with us. Mm -hmm. And we're like the agency establishes um, agreements as well. And Rakita, and that, the EIV system also speaks to others. So even they go to other subsidized units. Like I know that we've had that, I believe at, at TV, like, you know, the tenant, we've rejected people's applications because they have balances with CMHA, even even when we're they're not applying to a P, PPV unit or whatever. So it's a like there, it really is something that follows a, a, a person, you know, not just within CMHA, correct? Yeah, exactly. So it's across the country. Yeah. All kinds of authorities have access to it, and they and they reference it. Uh, Marquita, question about the, those those higher balances: Are are those tenants still in their units, or are they have they moved out or been evicted? I mean, what's the status of those? Mm -hmm. So these are all individuals who have moved out, or like I said, uh, we found that they've skipped. Okay, um, but none of them are in possession so, of the unit. So how? This may be more of an accounting question, I guess, but how have we reserved against other large write-offs for the future? Do we have, um, I mean, do we have people in units who who owe us large amounts that are we expect to be written off? So yes, we do have an allowance for duffel accounts uh, that we do uh, we have established. Uh, and then, as Marquita stated, uh, the only uh, time we come to the board on a monthly basis is on uh, balances left after move out that we do, um, you know, we're doing a uh, actual write-off for, but we do carry an allowance. How, how big is our liability here? I mean, what are we looking at over the next, say, six to 12 months? So uh, typically when we create our allowance, we look at uh, the number historically to see, you know, from previous years. Typically we are running about a, um, around uh, $300,000 um, allowance that we, um, you know, we uh, accumulate over the year. And then two so, up. So that, that will be insufficient given the trend of the last <clears throat> running 12 months. Yeah, uh, starting with well, our new well, well, let me, let me, I mean, the, what we collect during the year is, is goes against that as well. So um what we find also is that people want to come back in as marquita said and there's agencies and especially now that will pay for those individuals to come back in so um we 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 don't know what that will be until the end of the year to see how many people we house that came back in from previous years that owed us a balance um as well and then to to your question, Mr. O'Donnell, um, do people that live, still live with us, do they have a balance? And some of those individuals do, and that is the repayment agreement that Marquita um, spoke about as well. So we will enter in a repayment agreement. Um, sometimes when we go to court, um, it goes through that way, or the resident will come in and agree to a repayment agreement. Uh, to pay off the debt and and keep up their rent as well, um, so it's it just varies 
from uh, person to person on how that's done. But we do have um, some bad old debt. Not It's not bad debt until they move out, but uh, old debt that um, residents are paying um, in uh, in addition to their rent. So sorry, Rima, go ahead. You can ex- uh, finish your uh, accounting uh, question. I just wanted to make sure that um, you got I, all of those questions were getting answered there. No, you, you did an excellent job. I mean, that's pretty much it. Do we do we track? Uh, I'm sure you do rent um, receivables, basically that are for rent that's past due. Do we? And how long? How what's our our um, you know the length of our receivables? Sure. So um, this is an extraordinary year. We typically, so we have an aging. We watch our aging, our accounts receivable uh, aging. Um, You know, obviously it goes from 0 to 30, your typical 30 to 60, 60 to 90, and over 120. So uh, since this year, as far as with the pandemic uh, and the moratorium, our receivables have climbed. Typically we're below 3%. Um, this year, we went as high as 25, 26%. And now, uh, through the application of certain dollars and cents that are coming through uh, agencies that are helping uh, our residents, it's actually down significantly. At right now, well, as compared to the 20, 25, 26%, we're down to 18.7% at this point in time. You know, uh, that reminds me of. Um restaurant worker in Kentucky who was telling me that um, she simply quit paying her rent because her income was down. She devoted what income she had to keeping the utilities on, uh, but she's she's applied at the urging of friends to, I'm not sure if it's uh, a job in family services counterpart agency or a federal agency to get um, rent money uh, for previous months because someone didn't have the income. Is that what you mean by agencies, Reema? Yeah. Yeah. So the money that's coming in to the city is going to um, Job and Family Services. They've created a a portal online for applicants to apply. And we're working with um, community action agency um, to get residents access to um, to CARES Act funds or home relief funds, you know, rental assistance in, in, in general. And uh, we've been doing pretty well with that. What we'll do um, is send out actually the applications directly to the residents' doors. Uh, managers will assist. Um, managers have even taken applications and just started knocking on doors for um, our, our residents that um, have been delinquent. Uh, we use one call just in case there's a barrier as far as literacy um, and another way to get the word out to the residents. So we're aggressively trying to connect the residents to uh, the CARES Act funds that are that are in the community. Yeah. Well, that answers a lot of questions. So um, our property managers are knocking on doors after 30 days. They're not waiting 90 days to uh, 
be in touch with that tenant who's who's in arrears. Well, we're 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 handing information out, but I, I want to be sure. And I think Rima said, and I'm sorry, Marquis, to cut you off. Rima said it. This is a different year because of the pandemic. So um, we were hands off for quite a few months um, because we we had to be, and there was no relief funds um there now when the relief funds and the stimulus packages came through then we devised um of mailing of applications and assisting tenants and uh creating partnerships with the talbert house the free store food bank caa jfs on how can we get our clients in the system first um to save their housing and evictions so we, we worked that part of it um, to create those partnerships and we've collected, I mean, upward close to a million dollars of back rent, but there's, and utilities, but um, there's still a large number of our residents that um, we've taken them uh, sort of uh, given them the applications. They just won't fill them out um, because the moratorium is still out. So, um we still have those challenges and those write-offs potentially if they skip out will still be coming before the board because they left us and we couldn't do anything because of the moratorium but we are doing everything we can to collect the money uh and even right now they're paying future rent so they'll pay three months of future rent uh for clients as well and so we're we're trying to set them up to do that as well. But yeah, um, you know, we've been pulling our hair out with it um, and how to not to get get ahead of it. Now, I would say last year, a year and a half ago, yeah, we wouldn't be waiting. Uh, you know, after their initial, we're knocking on the door. We're trying to say, hey, what's going on? And that's how we've been able uh, to keep our uh, um, bad debt down the last few years mm -hmm. but because of the pandemic it's kind of gone the other way and we're going to go through a bad year this year um you know to to, to right size the ship so to speak is there anything in the cares act that is uh intending to address the phas that are put through a hardship because of this yeah i mean uh, i don't know if you would say attending to us but um obviously we do operating subsidy on public housing and if you collect less rent your operating subsidy goes up so we've turned those numbers in and we've seen where we, the ask is a little greater than it was maybe the last couple of years because of that um, actually we've been really good at collecting rent so our subsidy um, after proration has been down um, because we've been doing a good job of collecting rent so um, that in, in that sense, yes, uh, there is no other direct subsidy that's been coming to us as far as the public housing uh, uh, program. Mm -hmm. um, but that's probably the biggest uh, benefit that we probably are going to experience um, through this whole process. Okay. Uh, you're, with the, you're, you're expecting that HUD's position will be favorable to this subject. Well, the operating subsidy will go up um, as long as, but you know, depending on proration, 
but in HUD's eyes, they put out the stimulus money. So to we are able to collect the stimulus money. I think the wild card across the country and uh, my counterparts are saying the same thing. The dollars are there. Hamilton County in general has tons of money to give out to help families. The families have to fill out the applications. And surprisingly enough, there's a lot of people saying, I'll wait to see what happens, unfortunately. Um, what, what, why, what, what do they think is to their advantage for not doing anything? I have no, if, if I had that crystal ball, I'll tell you, I'll probably sell it. I, I have no clue. And Marquita and I have had tons of conversations. Why would somebody do this? And as Marquita is saying, what we're finding, um, because we are starting to be a little more aggressive than we were, um, because now we're asking the question, are you not paying your rent because of something that happened to you during the pandemic? And we're finding people are up and leaving in the middle of the night with balances and we're finding units. So um, that, you know, it, all of that mix is is what's happening with our bad debt write-off. It's it's not going to get any better, I'm going to say, between now and the next 12 months, because we're going to be finding units. When the moratorium start, stops, there's going to be people, you know, saying, hey, what can I do? And they're going to find themselves in a situation. So, you know, unfortunately, um, I think it's going to take a full 12 months for us to get back to where we were uh, as far as our de bad debt write-off. Mm -hmm. um, at, at the risk of sounding like I'm answering my own question, I'm recalling uh, what the Kentucky uh, restaurant worker shared with me. She said, I am purposely not paying my landlord because why should I pay him if the government is going to pay him? I can use that money to do other things. Is that part of perhaps what our tenants that's part of it but i think you're i think the worker that you talk to the worker the worker that you talk to their intention is to fill out the application to collect the money Absolutely. what we're dealing with is an intentional i'm not going to fill out the application um because i don't think i have to right now yeah oh okay because there's a moratorium or there has been uh, yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's hardship all the way around we can concentrate on all of the things that we can do in terms of as an organization to recover the money but i don't know that we can unpack the psychology of the decisions that people make because people come from very complex lives and have different mechanisms for making their decisions but you know what we can control really is the, the the mechanisms that we have, right? So we have that we have their record. We know we have repeat folks. We know that we have recovery in subsidies from development, and we know that we can lead um, residents to um, to the, the the rental subsidies. I would also say that this is just, as Greg said, kind of like a universal um, experience amongst folks who are who operate in subsidies. So at TCB, we're having this exact same issue in Boston, Chicago, Cincinnati, you know, DC, Baltimore. Um, and so, you know, I just think that it's a larger system um, 
sort of byproduct of that. Yeah, I don't doubt the truth of that. Okay, any other questions? Hearing none, then uh, roll call on the three resolutions. Uh, Ms. Mitchell. That was an aye. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Item 6B is request for approval, approval to solicit bids for the following items. We don't have any uh, bids this month. Item 6C is resolutions to award contract renewals. Resolution 5526 authorizing the CEO of CMHA to sign a one-year contract extension option for contract 2019-1010 for electrical services with Sensi Electrical Solutions, LLC, Seco Electric Company, Incorporated, and True Construction Services. LLC on an as needed basis, not to exceed $100,000 per contractor annually for a maximum five year contract and not to exceed budgeted amount paid for by operational funds, administrative fees, management services funds, and development funds. Motion. Thank you. A second. Thank you. Any questions? All right. Roll call, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. The chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Resolution 5527, authorizing the CO of CMHA authority to sign a one-year contract extension option for contract 2020-1003 for vacancy prep unit turnover, make ready, with A1 Quality Home Improvement and Roofing LLC, Absolute Magic Remodeling LLC, Brundage Services LLC, Chase Construction and Inspection Group LLC, Hoger Enterprise LLC, Colossal Janitorial LLC, Crosty Renovation Services LLC, Crow Contracting Homes and More LLC, ECJ Janitorial LLC, Diamond Professional Contractors, LLC, Tiffany R. Davis, doing business as Dominion Real Estate Consulting, Finesse Services, LLC, A Fist of Contractors, LLC, Bruce Gray, doing businesses from the ground up renovations, GJT Construction Incorporated, Arrows Forever Developments, LLC, Howard Edwards Contractors, LLC, Harry Jarvis, BBAJ Companies, Just Right Construction and Lawn Care Service, Mike Keith, DBA Mike's Painting, Pell Con Painting and Cleaning, LLC, Pleasant Contracting Services, LLC, Priority Services of Ohio, LLC, Charles Satterwhite, DBA Satterwhite, Painting and Cleaning, the Stone Street Group LLC, Thomas Rehabbing LLC, Trust Us Transportation, BBA Trust Us Maintenance and Janitorial, Urban Environmental Services LLC, and Excel Building Maintenance LLC on an ad-needed basis not to exceed $350,000 annually 
per contractor for a maximum three-year contracts and not to exceed the budgeted amount paid for by operational funds. Is there a motion? Thank you. Second. Thank you. Any questions? Hearing none, a roll call, Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Now, resolution 5528, authorizing the CEO of CMHA to, to sign a one-year contract extension option for contract 2020-1005 for maintenance, repair, and operating supplies with Winstell Controls Incorporated, Cincinnati Color Company Incorporated, Sherwin-Williams Company, Ferguson Enterprises LLC, and Progress Supply Incorporated on an as-needed basis, not to exceed $150,000 per contractor annually for a maximum five-year contract and not to exceed the budgeted amount paid for by operational funds. Is there a motion to accept? Motion. Thank you. Second. Second. Thank you. Any questions? Hearing none, roll call. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Item 6D is adopt a resolution to award the following construction contracts. We don't have any new construction contracts this month, over $100,000 per our resolution 5442, approved August 25th of 2020. The CEO has authorization to sign contracts in an amount not to exceed $100,000. In March, there were 11 contracts at $100,000 or below with total expenses of $197,000. Item 6C is adopt a resolution general, resolution 5529, authorizing the incorporation of both Riverview San Marco LLC and Riverview San Marco Development Corporation and associated employer identification numbers to facilitate the rental assistance demonstration conversions, rehabilitations of Riverview and San Marco. Motion. Thank you. A second. second. Any questions? Um, one quick question. The, the, um, one of these is the the holding company, right? The, and the other one is for the investor. Is that correct? Do I have that right or not? Um, we structure the the day to day activities of the of the um, of the site are managed by the development corp, and then the LLC is for ownership purposes. And we and we reach agreements with the investor through uh, a partnership agreement. So the, we bring the investor in there, the 99% owner, and then the development corp will have a 1% ownership, but have the day-to-day -day control of, of, the, uh, of the project. But at the end, end of the day, CMHA continues to own the property. Yes, yes. The, the investor technically owns 99%, but that's just for tax purposes. That's why the LLC is created. Technically, okay. So wait a minute. I'm I'm I want to make sure I understand this. So yeah, take we, your time, Ed. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, I know it's getting late, so I don't. No, want to no, no. I, I I mean that sincerely. Um. So the investor group is going to own ninety nine percent of 
the um, of which which one of these the San the Riverview San Marco LLC. Uh, though they, the investor owns ninety nine percent because they get the tax benefits for the site, so all the tax benefits. Figure out which one they're going to own and which one is the development. Is it the? It'll it'll be of the LLC. Okay. He's asking about which properties, Gary. No, no. Actually, I was actually. No, we so we've got an LLC here and a corporation, right? Yeah. So the corporation is going to be owned by um, CMHA. Yes, the development corp will be owned and operated by CMHA, and they they manage. They're the one percent, technically the one percent owner that manages the day to day operations of the site. So anything happens in the field when building the building or whatever it might be, they they make all decisions, and that's that's CMHA entirely. It, is that your question? And then and then the investor comes in, and they own technically own ninety nine percent of the project. But that's only for tax purposes. They just want the tax benefits from holding holding uh, ownership. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not being clear. I'm trying to understand which one of these is held by the investors at 99% and which one is held by CMHA. Which one is owned 100% by CMHA? Uh, the Development Corp. So it's the Riverview San Marco Development Corp is 100% owned by CMHA. And the Riverview San Marco LLC is 99% owned by the investors. Uh, they'll, they'll bring, there'll be a, a partnership agreement between the LLC and the investor group. And that partnership is dictated by what's called the operating agreement. So it becomes a limited partnership agreement that's, that's dictated by that operating agreement. So all the terms and how the, the property is managed are dictated by that partnership agreement and the, op if that makes sense, and the, the operating agreement that the investor brings in. Okay. And Gary, isn't this, this is, you know, for context, right? This is, this is a typical structure. It's 100% typical of how we do all our, um, uh, our structures for all our RAD agreements. Or a rad deal. So you saw the same thing with Park Eden, with Pinecrest, with Sutter View. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Okay, any other questions or comments? Hearing none, uh, roll call on the resolution. Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Okay. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Now resolution 5530, authorizing the incorporation of Horizon Hills, LLC, associated employer identification number to facilitate the rental assistance demonstration, conversions and rehabilitations of Horizon Hills. Is there a motion? Motion. Thank, Thank you. you. And a second. Thank you. Any questions? Yes. Uh, so why isn't there a development corporation here? Uh, because this is not a tax credit property. So we're not using 4% tax credits on this deal. Um, this is just a, this. In fact, there's no debt on this in this deal. Okay. Thank you. It, it gets a little complicated. Yeah. Um, and it's it's all new, right? Uh, it's all rad rules. Correct. These are both rad uh, rad deals. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, uh, roll call, Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Now, resolution 5531 authorizing the CEO of CMHA to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation 2021-1002. Work order services with Chase Construction and Development Group, LLC, Colossal Janitorial, LLC, Ultimate Professionals, LLC, Crosby Renovation Services, LLC, Chris Gray, DBA from the Group Up Renovations, Trust Us Transportation, LLC, DBA Trust Us Maintenance and Janitorial, Thomas Rehabbing LLC, the Stone Creek Group LLC, A1 Quality Home Improvement and Roofing LLC, GLT Renovations LLC, Howard Edwards Contractors LLC, Diamond Professional Contractors LLC, August Cleaning Services LLC, Thompson Renovations and Janitorial LLC, Somebody Got to Do It LLC, Fancy Structure Construction LLC, GB's Property Maintenance and Rehabilitation LLC, Touch of Perfection Painting LLC, Finance Services LLC, and DCJ Janitorial LLC, in a not to exceed amount of $200,000 annually per contractor for a maximum three-year contract or the board approved budget funded by operational funds. Is there a motion? Thank you. A second? Second. Thank you. Any questions? Hearing none, a roll call. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Resolution 5532, authorizing the CEO of CMHA to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation 2021-1004, junk removal services with a fist of contractors LLC, Trust Us Transportation LLC, DBA Trust Us Maintenance and Janitorial, Swept Away Property Cleanouts LLC, Fancy Structure Construction LLC, The Stone Street Group LLC, Somebody Gotta Do It LLC, Thomas Rehabbing LLC, Rumpke of Ohio Incorporated, Diamond Professional Contractors LLC, BCJ Janitorial LLC, and Aral Lindsay DBA Kingdom Contracting Services in a not to exceed amount of $200,000 annually per contractor for a maximum five-year contract or the board approved budget funded by operational funds. Is there a motion to accept? Thank you. A second? Second. Thank you. Any questions? <coughs> Hearing none, roll call. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Resolution 5533, authorizing the CEO of CMHA <coughs> to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation 2021. Dash 4003, Choice Neighborhoods Master Planner with Lord Eck Sargent, a Katera Company PLLC, in a not to exceed amount of $130,000 for a maximum three year contract or the board approved budget funded by Choice Neighborhoods Planning Grant Funds. Is there a motion to accept? 
motion. Thank you. Second. Thank you. Any questions? Hearing none, roll call, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye, the resolution passes. Resolution 5534, authorizing the CEO of CMHA to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation 2021-6003. Storage area network with SH1 International Corp in a not to exceed amount of $380,000 for a maximum five-year contract or the board approved budget funded by management services funds. Is there a motion to accept? Motion. Thank you. A second. Thank you. Any questions? Question about this um, for Mark, I guess, is, the, is this um, cloud service basically where the everything is stored in a remote uh, it's uh, it's actually on site storage. It is on site. Yeah, there there's two. There is a backup site and a primary site. Um, we're still working on geographic dispersion, but uh, there there are two devices. So we'll separate them at least on the campus, and then the second one we're going to try to move to a further out off site. But this is on premise storage. Okay. And is there an archive system for this too? Is it is it archived somewhere? Is it archived somewhere? It, uh, uh, the, it there there would be a secondary device that would be backing up what the primary. So it would go to the primary and then back up to a secondary site. Okay. And we have uh, software in addition to this. Um, this is hardware and software, but we have backup software that takes snapshots periodically throughout the day, and those are protected. So in the event that we have, um, heaven forbid, a ransomware attack, where it would attack the primary, we would have backups You know, every hour uh, or how frequently we set it up that we could restore back um, to where we were an hour or two hours ago. Was that what you were asking about archiving? So, so you, I'm, I'm a little confused. You have a primary which will have 100% of all of the data stored on it, correct? Yes. And then the second um, secondary unit, is that a backup or is that is that a live active uh, storage? It is a backup. It is a backup of the primary. Okay. So we'll have 100 plus percent of what is in the primary. Right. So okay. It'll be snapping off copies of, of live periodically uh, or the primary periodically. So that's where the, the archiving idea will be. And that is a, that's a uh, uh, series of computer drives. I take it there. It's not a uh, permanent storage. It's not a permanent archive. It, it's not a tape backup or anything. Right. Like that. right. Okay. It, is, it is a online disc spin, spinning disc although right. they're not spinning disc anymore yeah it is a computer drives backup that that's a good way to describe it okay did you look into using a cloud service as, as opposed to having um like amazon's service for example as opposed to having it on site or is that yeah we've we've looked at cloud storage a couple times both in a previous life and and since i've been here at the agency and it's it's not it's just not cost effective for us right now. 
Um, Amazon's a good example. Amazon is kind of use at your own risk also. Uh, they, they don't put a lot of guarantees on you being able to get your data back, um, which still surprises me. But um, so we, we've taken ownership of our own destiny by keeping it here on site. I do want to remote that second device more than just across the campus. I'd, I'd right. really like to move it to, you know, one of our other housing areas or even to another housing agency even. Uh, I've explored that idea with uh, some folks in Akron and uh, Columbus as well. Mm -hmm. Is that like disaster recovery? Is that your disaster recovery space? That would be my, yeah, that, that exactly. That yeah, disaster, okay. disaster recovery. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we were considering Yardi when you brought it before the board. Um, uh, I, I think you were on board at that time, Mark. Um, it was anticipated that we could save significantly by going this cloud storage route, <laughs> as Ed is alluding. Um, but you know, you're, yeah, answer, uh, you're answering my question that it if it's not this if it's not as good a solution as having our own site and a redundant site, then um, that's the world we live in. Uh, yeah. Let, so if I could, just the, the, the slight difference between the Yardi implementation and what we're doing here, Yardi uh, built out all the infrastructure for us. So all the application and all the data is, is hosted at Yardi. So we're renting space from Yardi. Um, they, they can do that a little more cost effectively for scale for, for this. It's some of the, our local, um, it's just our local stores so our file shares our on base. Um, it's, it's not as cost effective for that as it is what you already could do with their economies of scale with all of their customers using their cloud offering. So for them, it's more than storage. That's why it's, it's a more cost effective solution for a Yardi implementation, for example. So we are enjoying uh, the added value of the Yardi purchase to that extent. Absolutely, so yeah, so they're cloud-based, Office 365, so window, you know, our email, yeah. uh, we do have a local email server, but most of the email stored in the cloud. So we are yeah. taking advantage of cloud where it makes sense. Yeah, and the previous operating system, whatever we call that, forgive my ignorance, didn't give us that capability to store in the cloud. Right, exactly. Okay. Well, um, any other questions, Ed or Reggie or anyone else? Uh, I, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking about the possibility, what the probability is that both of these systems could go down at the same time. And what, you know, what would our, um, you know, how would we handle that? Um, we, we would be having a really bad day that day. Yeah. Uh, th these systems are have redundant, a lot of redundancy built into them. Um, I'm not saying it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but there would have to be more than two failures. There would have to be multiple failures uh, occur on both devices. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the odds of that are pretty small. Um, Power backup for both of them, both systems? I'm sorry? Do we have electric backup? Yeah, we well we have um, we have um, uh, power supplies, UPS power supplies that give us a few minutes, 
and um, it allows them to shut down gracefully. So one of the one of the bad things about servers and and storage is if somebody just goes up and pulls rips the plug out of the wall and they don't go down gracefully, right? Uh, you can get a lot of data corruption, et cetera. But if you have UPSs on them that can see that it's you know there's a problem, you have 20 or 30 minutes for that system to to gracefully shut itself down. Well, what I what I'm getting at is what if there's a general power outage that goes on for a few days? You know, electric, electricity to the downtown area of Cincinnati uh, is is lost for a couple of days. Um, our office would be, you know, our office would be essentially shut down unless we were to to get a generator set up and be able to to apply power to the to the uh, facility. We could look at some ideas about moving to, you know, co-locate someplace else like Cincinnati Bell Technology Services, for example, has kind of a data center solution. Uh, when we looked at it, it was pretty expensive uh, a year and a half ago. But there are there are some other options um, that we can certainly look at. Would um, to this subject, would it be more expensive to have the uh, second side in Columbus because it's less likely that they would be suffering a power outage that the Cincinnati region would be would, would, would that cost more to go to Columbus as opposed to setting it up in uh, Anderson Township um, the the thing I'm trying to leverage with some of the the other housing authorities is they have the same problem I do yeah um, you know they they have to somehow remote get yeah. a backup site somewhere whether you know for disaster right. so the idea that we were going down and we were pursuing until COVID hit was uh, I'll put my device in your data center you put your device in my data center yeah. we'll establish a connection between your primary and your backup that's here locally so then the chances of all of us having you know uh, power problems is pretty small mm-hmm. uh, in the event that we would have a severe outage. The next step of that would be figure out, can I stand up my secondary device in Columbus? Can I move all my connections there? Can I tell the internet that my websites are now there in Columbus? So it's a little more involved than just moving the device there, but it's certainly something that by putting a backup device in Columbus or Akron gives us that ability to do that. But that's the next, you know, it's kind of the next stage in our maturation process. How, what, what do you do to prevent uh, a ransom attack? Oh, wow. Um, one, uh, we have, um, we have mal- anti-malware, we have antivirus, we keep that up to date. We've got, uh, you know, the market leaders in, in those platforms installed on all the devices, uh, laptops, desktops, et cetera. We have firewalls that are industry leaders to try to prevent it from even coming in. Um, we try to educate folks um, on you know malware and, and what not to click on. We get a lot of emails a week. Hey, this looks suspicious. Can you check it out for, for me? So there are a lot of people who are doing that. So education is probably, the human is the weakest link in all of this. So um, we do that. 
We also um, have the desktops and laptops locked down pretty tight. And what I mean by that is um, you can't just install stuff. Even clicking on a link that would try to, to deliver some malware to your device, you'd have tr- it would have trouble installing because the devices are so locked down. No one has privileges to install software on their device. So we've, we've taken a lot of steps. The other thing that um, we've also looked at is some of the, looked at some of our counterparts who have had malware attacks and ransomware attacks. And the way that the backup software we have works, uh, it's isolated from that ransomware attack. So the ransomware can find all the stuff on your primary, for example, it can't get to those backups on the backup device. So you stop the ransomware attack, you clean that off, and then you restore from a good backup. So we've taken defense, we've put defense in depth trying to prevent that. Uh, Will we ever prevent it? You know, all the prevailing experts will tell you, it's not if you get attacked, it's when you get attacked. So we've taken, again, taken as many steps as we can. And I I think one of the things that we want to boost now that COVID's starting to get on the back, we're getting on the backside of COVID is last year we were really pushing out some fake um, malware uh, from a plat. I had uh, purchased a platform that allows us to put out fake emails and trying to get people to, to click on an email, fill in their credentials um, in a controlled test, obviously. Uh, and then it would provide them education. So we, we got through three of those last year. Um, we, we kind of, it kind of fell off the radar for a while with COVID, but I want to resurrect that and keep educating folks. These malware attacks get more and more and more sophisticated every year, <laughs> how every day. So education, I think, is a big, big piece of it. You know, it's wonderful that uh, a big part of your presentation was, and Lisa's was dedicated to the opportunities of digitizing. Um, if we were to be attacked, does that shut everybody down? Or can you turn certain aspects on um, while you're under attack? Yeah, I, I'm really ignorant about all Yeah, it depends on the attack. Um, it, it really depends on the attack. Uh, again, the, these attacks are getting more and more sophisticated. Some of them are very crude, brute force, but some of them are pretty sophisticated. And um, as long as we keep putting defenses in depth, then I'm, I'm hopeful that we could stop a malware attack or a ransomware attack, remove it from our primary, restore from a good backup, and be back up in business quickly. And by quickly, I mean, you know, 10 to ten to 16 hours back right. in business. That's pretty quick. Yeah, it takes a little time to sort out what has happened also. So, you know, you're under attack. Some of them are obvious. They, you know, they put the skull and crossbones on your, on your screen. And it's <laughs> pretty obvious what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Some of them, not so much. Mm-hmm. The, the, probably the, the scariest ones are things called advanced persistent attack, where, they're in there. As you they guys can the- see, Mark is very, very, I mean, Mark could talk to you about this Sorry. all night about it, but <laughs> no, I trust that we are in very good hands. Yeah, we, we got, we, I mean, he's, 
he, he could tell us, I mean, he's got us pretty well protected. Um, yeah. as yeah. you know, for an agency our size and what mm-hmm. we're trying to protect. Um, you know, he's really got us on the right track here. Awesome. Big time. Mm-hmm. I hope we don't get attacked tonight. That all that <laughs> that, that sixteen hour <laughs> objective is dependent upon the redundant system being available to you. Is that yes. a correct statement? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's see. Uh, any other questions? Hearing none, roll call. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Um, thank you for indulging all my questions on that resolution, Mark. Uh, it, there, there are a few things that could happen to the agency that could be more catastrophic. Uh, so it, it's good to know um, that you're on top of it and everybody at the agency is uh, uh, aware of the, the risks and you're constantly reminding them. Resolution 5535, authorizing the CEO of CMHA to negotiate and enter into a contract for solicitation 2021-7003 kiosks with Dynatouch Corporation and a not to exceed amount of $290,000 for a maximum five-year contract or the board approved budget funded by CARES Act funds, 145,000 by CARES Act funds for asset management and 145,000 by CARES Act funds for housing choice vouchers. Thank you. Thank you very much. Excuse me. Any questions? Hearing none, roll call. Ms. Mitchell? Aye. Mr. Harris? Aye. Mr. O'Donnell? Aye. Mr. Moore? Aye. And the chair votes aye. The resolution passes. Resolution 5536, authorizing the CEO of CMHA to execute documents to secure a grant in the amount of $300,000 from the Greater Cincinnati Foundation for the construction of Bennett Point in the city of Cincinnati, Hamilton County, Ohio. Is there a motion to accept? Motion. Thank you. Second. Thank you. Any questions? I just want to say, just a comment. Um, I'm really excited about this project. I think that this is incredible. So um, that's it. Yeah, wonderful. All right, Uh, roll call, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. And the chair votes aye, and the resolution passes. Uh, you're right, Reggie. You know, our team at CMHA did an incredible thing to what seems like um, breaking through a place that could, that is becoming a resource to us. For all the right reasons, so it it, it shouldn't um, be uh, ignored for the very significant step that it is. And uh, you know, thank you, Greg. All right. So, if there's no other business to come before the board, may I have a motion to adjourn the regular meeting? Motion. Thank you. Thank you. And any questions or comments before I- we adjourn?
I just have one comment. Uh, Gary Jump, can you set up a Zoom call about five minutes from now with me, Jerry, Tom, Lisa, Thomas, and Rima? We have a matter we need to discuss tonight. So then that way we can all, Rima, Lisa, Thomas, okay. Tom, and Jerry. Okay. <laughs> and yes. then I just want to say, uh, thank you to the board for the approvals tonight. There again, it just shows your support um, <laughs> as we try to move through these difficult times and as we continue to move through these difficult projects. So um, I, I know I really appreciate it. It allows us to um, continue to do you know, uh, the business at hand. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely, Greg. Yep. You're welcome. I just want to say I really appreciate the great job you guys are doing, really. I mean, I know this is a really hard time, and I think uh, you deserve a lot of credit for handling it as well as you are. So thank you. Yeah, here, here. And uh, on top of all that, the efforts you're making and demystifying for us as board members what you're going through on a daily basis, it doesn't go unnoticed. All right, so roll call, Ms. Mitchell. Aye. Mr. Harris. Aye. Mr. O'Donnell. Aye. Mr. Moore. Aye. The chair votes aye, the motion passes. Regular board meeting is adjourned. Aye. Except, Good night. Good evening. Good evening, guys. Yeah. But, Thank but you. Our, our, our executives continue to work. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great night. Thank aye. you.